As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Adrian Hales. Adrian, welcome. Thank you very much, Amy, for having me on my podcast. Really looking forward to uh, talking with you today. And a fellow podcaster as well. Yeah, started Superhuman Journeys with uh, a bit of advice from a coach of mine and a mentor who said, let's get on a, a podcast where you share your journeys and stories instead of maybe all the practical tips that actually what people really want to hear, very much like your podcast, Focus on Why. People really want to hear people's st- stories and journeys so they can learn from those. And what are Superhuman Journeys? So it's a good question. Um my premise is, and this originates from school, because I had dyslexia at school and I really struggled with learning. And the teachers at the time, some saw my gift and some didn't see my gift. And at that time, what, what happened was, is the, 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 the traditional benchmark for learning and success, I couldn't quite get to that. Uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know why at the time, but I put all that energy into, into sport. So that was my gift. And then nurturing that gift over my time through coaching and L&D and speaking, I found my gift, which was sharing that to the world. And what I what I realized is that everybody has a superhuman gift inside of them. It's not necessarily we walk around with capes or in green paint or with a Wonder Woman outfit on. What it really is for me is superhuman is about recognizing that every single person, no matter who they are, has a unique talent, gift, and ability. That if they found out what that was or they nurtured it in some way, what it would do, it would change their life and it would impact many other people as well in a, in, a, in a positive way. And what I realized is from being in corporate and working with, with coaching clients, either professionals and coaches, um, a lot of people aren't sharing their superhuman gift, um, aren't sharing their purpose because of fear, procrastination or mental conditioning, which is stopping them from, from showing up and truly expressing that. Uh, which leaves them feeling unfulfilled. So I set up Superhuman Journeys, really, to interview speakers, authors, um, successful people in their own right, who are just from normal beginnings and have gone through some trials and tribulations to really show that anybody can do that with the right focus, with the right perseverance, and with the right support around them. And really, it's a superhuman message to, to encourage people, a little bit like yourself, to find out what their life purpose is, to follow their purpose. And really it's about the awakening that's happening. It's about awakening their leadership because we need more 
awakened leaders in the world who are out there doing great work. So that was the motivation and the reason why I set up Superhuman Journeys. And actually, it was a superhuman that brought us together with Olga Gaidana bringing us together, which is fantastic. She's another person who's out there leading the way in this field. Yeah, I literally can't believe, Olga, how many lives she does. I'm like, I'm, I'm like doing a couple of lives a week and I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty good, you know, doing a podcast a week. And then I turn my phone on to have my tea or coffee in the morning and there she pops up again. And just as about to get upstairs after breakfast, boom, she's back on. It's just like, she's someone that definitely knows her purpose. And, you know, she's a, she's aligned with that as well. But it just shows you, Olga's came on to, to my podcast and, you know, she came to the UK with, with no money, nothing, and just, you know, came over with a bit of courage and then just um, came to the UK, was here in the UK and then just rebuilt her life, rebuilt her purpose and career. So it just shows with a bit of grit, perseverance and a resolve that, you know, anyone listening to this podcast can, can follow their dreams and their purpose. Yeah. And her story started with a book about a ginger donkey. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. But she she was doing personal development before I even knew it existed. So she's she's literally lived almost her entire life with that from a teenager, which is fantastic. So taking it into your journey and being at school and, and having some teachers see you as having a gift and others not, how did that make you feel? Well, it was quite interesting because what what happened when I was some teachers didn't see that gift or see that talent. And look, it's not their fault that the curriculum education is set up in, in that way. And it still is uh, to some regard today. Um, but what it, what it felt like is that you don't see me, I don't belong um, at, 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 I suppose, at an identity level, which got me then to do one of two things, be really naughty and rebel um, I think I got a um, the award at the end of my school. I got I came out with no qualifications, and the award that I got was most kicked out of lessons. So I used to rebel because um, they they couldn't see that that with me, and they didn't want to spend the time. And of course, when you have dyslexia, when a substitute teacher or someone comes to sit next to you like a support, it makes you feel even more you know uh, restricted. And okay, why is there someone why? 10, 20, 30 other kids got no one. And I've got this lady, you know, teaching me how to spell. And, and then when you can't spell, they'll get you to, to write that word a thousand times on a piece of paper, which kind of, you know, it proves that you, you can't do those things. And, you know, you want to succeed because the other kids, and when the timetable comes out of, of all the exams that are passed and you're, you know, you're not even past the exams, um, it's not particularly good for, for self-esteem, but, what I discovered, luckily, when I was very young, my dad got me into rugby. I started playing for Mosley Minis at the age of five. So that was actually a really good gift. And I was really fast because I did a lot of athletics. And interestingly enough, the, the teachers, the academic teachers who, who didn't see any talent because that wasn't their criteria for success, um, you know, just kind of pushed me to the side. Whereas there was one teacher, Mr. Evans, who, who saw this gift in, in, in me for running and he put me in all the county um, 400 meters. And I was thinking, why are you putting me in all these 400 meters? And he would say, Adrian, you've got to come out uh, and train. So he'd get me out at lunchtime. He'd get me out after school. And I was the only person running on the track. And then he would get me to run and really, really fast because I could do the 100 just under 11 when about 10, 9, when I, you know, when I was about 14, 15. And then I started to, to win all these races. 
and I started to win the races by 50, 60 meters, 400 meters against all the county kids. And, and, and one, th- and, and this, this comment kind of changed, changed my life really at that point. And he said to me, Adrian, look what happened when you got on the track and, and how much you beat everyone by. And you did that without even training. And he said, imagine what would happen if you dedicated yourself to that, which was quite a profound moment for me because I suppose what happens is when you leave school, you want to prove to the world that you can do certain stuff. So that then led me to to wanting to be successful and prove not just to myself, to other people that I was capable of certain things. And the interesting thing is when I came out of school, I didn't really know what to do. I had a couple of choices. I lived in a, a little village called Barton and Deneedwood um, near Burton-on-Trent. And at that time, you could either go and work in a warehouse or McDonald's or join the army. So I ended up joining the army. And um, the interesting thing is, going back to your question about schooling and, and, and what it feels like when you have two opposites, someone that's encouraging and someone that's not, in the army, I, I finished the army after 32 weeks and came out with six NVQ GCSE levels just because it would, they, they focused on me and they, they kind of believed in me and put me through that process and actually came out of school with no qualifications after, you know, 16 years or not 16 years, over 10 years of schooling, 32 weeks in the army came out with six qualifications. So it just shows the importance. And I think you said this in your podcast, um, sorry, on, on YouTube of the importance of having good and the right people around you. So that's, kind of my insight as I've got older having the right people around you to to encourage you it's really important and I think that one thing that I I find when I'm speaking to people who have been in the army is that they have that real sense of belonging and purpose and a collective belonging and purpose where everybody is all sort of singing the same song sheet for a better you know for want of a better phrase but it is so true you do have that huge sense of purpose yeah there's in the army specifically uh it's obviously it's drilled into you um it's it's very interesting in training that that what happens when you when you first go there you're a civvy you're a bit you're a bit cheeky i got into a few fights when i when i first got there and um you know you're with people from birmingham liverpool london and these the, the typically the guys that join the army are searching for some type of uh, of belonging um, have had an interesting past, whether they got kicked out of school, involved in crime or kind of troubled families. And the interesting thing is in the first six weeks, everything goes wrong. I mean, you make mistakes, you get your, you get your locker chucked out of your, the second story um, window. You've got to go and pick your stuff up. You get so many press ups, you wouldn't believe runs late nights and it's emotionally and mentally like really tough. And then they let you go on leave. And then I remember this moment of sitting at home thinking, I'm not sure whether this is, you know, for me, this is pretty tough. And then it suddenly dawned on me that when you're in the army, your focus when you come out of Civvy Street, it's all about me. It's, you know, it's, it's what I want. It's, it's, it's everything that's important to me. And that is the specific reason why everything doesn't work is because you're focused on looking after number one. And when everything changes within the army, when you look after each other. So Amy, for instance, if we were in the army together and we knew that it wasn't about me, that it was about the collective, the collective team. If I was about to go on parade and I had mud on my boot, but I didn't see it, you might say, Adrian, you've got mud on your boot. And I might say, next time we're going to run, 
Amy, make sure you fill up your water bottle. So we're constantly like looking out for each other to make sure that we meet the standard and the grade. Because if you can't fill your water bottle up, you can't, you know, you don't um, look out for each other with their kit and their fitness and all those types of things. How are you going to help somebody when bullets are flying at you and, and you know, you need to uh, keep the peace or, or the, um, you find yourself in challenging situations. So all these things are repetition um, is to subconsciously program you that we all belong together. Even when you're marching, obviously left, right, left, right, left, right. What you're doing is you're conditioning to say we are together. We're, we're in the same rhythm. We're in the same mode. And when you come out of your, when you come out of training, by the way, it's, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. So I did 32 weeks. So when I, I went in at um, 15 and nine months and actually what happened is the to get me into the army um they uh, i think somebody forged my date of birth or something like that so to get the numbers up so i was sat there in junior leaders and they said um uh how old are you son um this is after like 6 weeks by the way <laughs> can i look at your passport and i got my passport out and they said oh yeah you're underage but don't tell anyone and just let's keep it together i was only underage by 3 months but you know, I, I cracked on. Um, then you do phase two. So I did 32 weeks and then 24 weeks of phase two. So six months immersed in this environment. Then you go to your regiment. And the interesting thing is, which I've done this talk to, to corporates, that that one of the big things that, that that we talk about in the army is we never leave anybody behind. And normally what happens is in a regiment, you'll have people that are fit, people that are strong, people middle ground, and then people that are injured or run fit but everyone goes on the runs and they place the strongest at the front and the strongest at the back and when the run starts it starts to get tough starts to get out of breath and arduous because we've got lots of kit on and then people start dropping back and what happens is the strongest at the back bring them to the front and then everyone else keeps them there until they get their breath back but then they start dropping back again and that process keeps repeating and what we believe is that um, everybody's important because everybody in that group of men is is the weaker people, the cooks, the engineers, the soldiers together because we we view everybody as equal importance and we bring everyone along on that a journey together and that's the the motto which we we never leave anybody behind. And with that, we never leave anybody behind. You're you're talking about the the collective mission that you're on, and it's all based on trust yeah and performance yeah trust and performance yeah yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a what i'm finding though is when you leave the army that's a tricky people adjusting again yeah i think it's um it's definitely uh an interesting adjustment um when i when i left the army i remember actually waking up at home and I was like, had this sense of panic and anxiety thinking, oh my God, I'm, 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 I should be on parade. I'm late for parade. And it's so conditioned within you. And this must have happened, probably this feeling for a good year, just woke up just like I'm, I'm on parade because it's drilled into you, that, that, that devotion, that discipline to, to, to that group of um, people that you serve with. So when you, you come out, it's like, you know, who's Adrian now? Um, I remember doing some kind of, you know, warehouse work and, and kind of average type type jobs, um, not really, not really going anywhere in life, really um, just cruising and, and, and not really having a sense of purpose or a sense of belonging and identity. 
but then you question who am I in the world and the and and the, and I suppose the message to people listening is that you know when you do that there's something innately special something you can do that you can always fall back on or something you can bring back to the surface to 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 use so then the natural progression was right I've got to get back into rugby because I played for the army I played for combined services I paid for bath um a and 21 so I was like um now I've got to rebuild where I want my life to go so I had a couple of years of just completely in no man's land and there so then I got into um playing rugby and I got my I remember um because me and my dad were in pubs, pubs at the time and I remember this um guy saying I right, look we're going to Fiji do you want to come with us we've got a specialist group of players guys that play you know top top standard players we need a bit of speed would you would you like to come in with the, with a side and I played for that side in the seven series that's uh, called Ronin Impact and we went to Fiji and luckily I played really really well and I I I, I had a focus at that point and um I think it's very important to have a purpose and have a plan like you speak about because I had a new purpose, right? I'm going to, I'm going to follow rugby. My plan is now to get fit for Fiji. So I just did loads of stair running and body weight stuff. So then when I got to Fiji, um, I did really well, scored loads of tries. It was a really tough, obviously they're the best at sevens. I remember going to Fiji. <laughs> I remember this story. It was quite funny. Obviously we had a really good squad of good players. Um, who played next to me was Gavin Dacey, who played for Wales Sevens, and uh, we had loads of Fijians with us. And I remember this: um, we we tipped up at this village, and the chief said, "Oh, come in, you know, welcome in. You have to drink grog, which is like a kind of like a root that they drink." And obviously, what that's like an anaesthetic; it's almost sends you a little bit spaced out. And um, we all put our like like fitted yellow like tops on with like I think we were sponsored by Ariva buses or something like that so we looked like really good <laughs> and then all these and then literally the what happens is the chief must have told all the villages that the the um the foreigners are here or the people from across the pond <laughs> and obviously every single village came we had we had like 20 teams rock up I mean we held our own with the I mean with the first game and the pitch wasn't even like a pitch. It had like like mounds and things in it. Like, and it was just like I think this is no joke. They had the, the postal palm trees like 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 crossed over, and these 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 guys tipped up with like old rugby boots and old rugby kits. And the first game was absolutely savage. I remember a guy. The kickoff came up. He walked up and just punched me straight in the face. And then the next kickoff, the ball went up and Gavin Dacey like literally flew and, and leveled this guy. So that was a great experience, but it it just shows you we had all the gear and it didn't matter anyway, but we didn't win the tournament, but I think we, you know, we won as many as we lost. So that was a, that was a great experience. And, and also the importance of, yes, you do go through those lulls. Yes, you do lose your identity and where you belong in the world, but you can look at a talent or a gift and you can build from that, whatever that gift or talent is. So where did you go on to after your rugby? So when I when I finished playing my through my rugby career, um, I I got into um, the corporate world as a, as a kind of a sales director at the time, and a really t- uh, kind of tough thing happened for me in my my career. I took over this um, this 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 job, and it was really to go around the UK to inspire people, to coach them, and to bring them on. And what had happened, and you've probably been 
um, exposed to not bullying in the yeah bullying in the workplace and people that aren't shouldn't be in those roles and are not very nice to people. And I took this job because I thought it'd be great for my my career. And um, the person that was um, that I was working for was like the kind of group sales director, and I and I was going around and and helping people. And at that point, what I discovered when I when I got into the role that that person belittled people, like would say things like, the reason, you know, you're not very good at sales, I could beat you any day, and, and literally belittled people. I've never been treated, I've never seen people treated like that before. And because of my army and rugby background, um, and because I've seen that at school as well, kind of intuitively knew what to do. Now, luckily, they were going on maternity leave a couple of months later, so as they went, they went away, I thought, right, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to prove you that actually bullying people and treating people like that isn't the right way to go. So I got around everybody, coached everybody, supported people, and the performance started turning around. And we delivered more sales in the worst, typically the worst month of the year than that person did in the best months of the year, just by treating people well, being there for them, never leaving them behind, all those types of things. But cut a long story short, when they got back from maternity leave, they saw this was happening and they threatened me with my job. They said, you know, you've got to play the game. I told you not to do all these things and make all these changes and stuff. And if you don't play the game, you're going to lose your job. At that point, I hadn't passed my probation, but I'd worked my absolute ass off six months to 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 get this probation pass because obviously at that point money and and security and income is important and i actually enjoyed enjoyed the work not necessarily working for that person and i remember breaking away for christmas and just having this horrible feeling of dread this inner conflict and there'll be people listening it will be in jobs that don't fulfill them or experiencing this and well i encourage you to trust your intuition and trust your heart on what to do but uh, I just felt awful for the whole of Christmas I felt this anxiety this horrible this horrible feeling and uh yeah I just I I, I met this um person on online who did like online businesses and it was my out it was my it was nutrition it was my out yes it was kind of network marketing this was like kind of many years ago and I decided right I've got to I've got to go for that. I've got to follow it. It's, it's, I reckon I can make it work and it's my out. It gives me something to, 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 to move on. And, um, and the, the new year came, um, and I was supposed to drive down to the South coast to do some sales coaching. And, uh, I rang, uh, I dropped my hand in my notice and I said, I'm not coming, um, in today. And, and they said, well, you've got to, you know, you've got to work your notice. I said, well, actually I haven't passed my probation. So I've got, I've got a week's notice. So I'm giving my notice today. And what they did is they said, now you've got to go down to the to handle your stuff back in. Today, you've got to do it. And I'll make sure that you get your money's worth back, all your money. So I drove down to the south, dropped all my stuff in. And then they dropped me a quick message saying, oh, by the way, I've decided not to pay you your money. So I just rang up HR and I said, I've got an interesting story and thing to tell you. And I'm going to take this further if you don't sort this out. And then literally the pay was in the next day. And I dropped a message to the CEO and I said, ah, oh, please drop me a message. It's been great to work with you. I just wanted to be to communicate. And my intention was to let him know about that person. And the phone rang in the evening and he said, you know, hi Adrian, um, you know, you wanted me to call you. I just want to say thanks for all your hard work. You know, why did you leave? 
And I said, oh, I just decided to get another uh, a role around nutrition or something that's more aligned and really, really sorry, but it wasn't for me. I decided not to put them under the bus. And that was such a brave thing to do. And I just thought, why put them under the bus? I didn't need to do that. So that was quite a, a tough experience for me. Um, and then obviously got into the business world. And um, the biggest thing that happened to me and the biggest thing that happened to me is I felt this overwhelming sense of release and joy as I drive it back up the N25. And I went through what I know now is a personal awakening. Something shifted with inside, inside my physical body. And I just felt this huge sense of love and joy when I drove back up the M25 and the sun came up on the M25. I had my tunes blaring and I just screamed at the top of my voice, you know, I'm, I'm free from, from that. And, and at that point, this awakening hero's journey for me in my life started to kind of take shape. So that was quite a significant uh, moment for me. You talked about trusting your intuition and that's something that is, is a big thing for you. Can you explain what that means and how that manifests? Yeah, sure. I think if we, um, everybody says, you know, trust your gut, trust what your heart says, you know, listen to your head and, and, and all this uh, information. But often we, we can't trust our intuition because we're busy getting up at five in the morning, rushing to the next train, rushing to meetings that we don't want to really be in, um, arguing with people, and we're stressed because the mind, the conditioned mind, is is running the show, and there's lots of things that we should be doing or we want to be doing, we have to be doing this. And a lot of that is learned from societal conditioning um, that we believe we have to be successful, we have to have this role, we have to do this. And, and, and what happens is, is we get to a point in, a lot, in our life or the people I often coach, they get to a point where they realize that, hold on a minute, um, is this really what I want? Because the mind in, in many ways is running the show. And really what intuition is about is about listening to our, to our body and having practices and how, uh, in our lives so we can listen to our intuition and what it's communicating to us because it's always communicating something. But the mind's quite loud and our intuition is a little bit softer. So how the intuition manifests itself um, is that from a heart perspective and from a, a gut perspective in some of the, the methodology called MBIT that I, that I teach and I use in my coaching is a lot of people are looking to create change from the mind. But interestingly enough, the communication, communication based on neuroscience, it only goes down 10%. Communication goes 10% that way, where you get 90% communication coming up this way. So our biggest leverage point to create change in our lives, whatever that might be, is often coming from the heart and from our gut. Now, from um, a coaching perspective, our heart is, is electromagnetic and it's responsible for our values, things that are important to our life. It's responsible for relational effect. Like we've got a relational effect. We're having a conversation now. So it's how we relate to other people and relate to ourselves and also what we connect with in the world, what we desire and what we, what we long for, what, we, what, what makes our heart sing, for instance. And then in our, in our gut area, we have um, our identity, like who we are, what we're moved by and motivated by, and what our needs are, what our security needs are, gut intuition. 
And that's obviously always being communicated. Um, so the intuition manifests itself for me specifically um, when I purposefully create um, times in my life where I can listen to it. Because if you're not creating time in your life to listen to it, the head will just keep running the show and you'll keep chucking more coffee down, which will, which will ignite the gut, gut, the gut um, to send more chemical signals to the mind and the mind will make even more meaning and you'll get more stuck. So how I do that practically is um, have cold showers, cold and hot showers, which stimulate the autonomic nervous system, which is like your sixth sense, which, which in essence, it stimulates something called the vagus nerve. So in simple terms, that's like your thermostat. Uh, if, if, your, if your vagus nerve isn't being... Uh, stimulated and and worked, you're either in stress or you're in a low mood. So it's it's a good way to for your whole um, body and immune system to regulate your emotions and regulate your thoughts and regulate your feelings. Then you become more intuitive. Um, another way is either that I found through my journey is chanting different types of uh, of chanting, whichever one works for you in a meditative state. And that also stimulates the autonomic nervous system and, and the vagus nerve, which is responsible for regulating emotions, intuition, and thoughts. Um, and then also I, I find really, really interesting is just silent meditation. And, and interestingly enough, our intuition often speaks. It doesn't often always speak in words. It's, it speaks in phrases or it speaks in metaphors or it speaks in art. It speaks in 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 geometrical patterns or colors or images. And that's how it often, and, but it's very, very subtle. And interestingly enough, whenever I speak to a lot of coaching clients, the, when they tap into intuition is when they, I think we were speaking about this before, when they go into nature, what happens is they reconnect, the mind's out of the way. And then all of a sudden, I'm sure you've had this experience, Amy, where just suddenly like a little bubble pops and you get like a metaphor or a symbol or, or something and it's being able to trust our intuition. Now, how that practically works, in our life, we have opportunities. We have people come to us. We're on podcasts. We're, we're doing actions. We're in relationships. We're thinking about business decisions in our, in our life. And something that really works well for, for me is when we're thinking about um, to making that decision, if it's an expansive feeling, as in if your body expands towards that, then it's worth progressing. And if you feel like an expansive feeling, if someone messaged you and you feel a constrictive feeling, you just have to be very clear to say yes or no, because the body knows what's right for you. And also that's not right for you, but maybe right for somebody else. So that's how I've practically brought that into to, to my life. And, and basically I, I worked out that traditional to-do lists don't work for me or time management apps. So now I actually do... Um, I actually do um, kind of to-do list, but drawing more mind map type things because that's my intuition communicating to me. So it's working out whatever, what kind of works for you. How did you discover that the sort of the MBIT way was the way for you? Well, it's an interesting question. When I came out of the army and the rugby, I'll go back to that. And, and obviously having that experience where I left the corporate world, kind of went through like an, an identity crisis again, like, oh my God, um, I'm not good enough for that. Like it was, it really hit me, emo uh, had an emotional impact to me, on me. 
And what happened was, is I decided to go on a bit of a hero's journey. I, I got interested in kind of NLP and, and um, different types of spirituality and, and because I was having an awakening at that time. And, and I suppose the simplest way to, to describe awakening is all the conditioning that I'd learned throughout my life. I started to question that. Is that right? Is that wrong? And I started to wanting to learn more about my mind and learn more about personal development. So I kind of went on a, a, um, a really big um, journey to find out more about that. Um, and I, I started to experience like a dark night of the soul. And what that basically means is that you go to, uh, you feel almost very low mood. You feel lethargic. You, you go to some dark places because your the, the, my conditioning was starting to kind of change. I started to feel anxiety and, and fears. So at that point you think, okay, well, how can I self-medicate as in how can I find some tools and, and things to, to help my situation or help how I'm feeling? So then I started to learn NLP, started to learn spiritual practices, started to learn MBIT, started working with coaches, starting to go to workshops, searching really for my life's purpose. Actually, why is Adrian on this planet? What is my purpose? What is my why? Um, and that then led me into once I started to discover like, okay, my purpose is coaching, is speaking, is, is teaching. Um, that started to become such a driver for me. I decided to keep going through my fears and keep, and keep pushing through to find more of my true self. And then I started to learn NLP, um, with, uh, two guys called David Shepard and Peter Freeth. So I learned some great stuff from them. But then I, because of this spiritual awakening and this reprogramming of conditioning and seeing the world differently, I started to think, oh, let's start to learn more about spirituality. So getting into numerology, uh, learning about um, meditation, getting into yoga to, to embody that piece. And then there was like a, a piece where how do we fit all that together? Because NLPs, it, yes, it does work with the body, but it's quite cognitive. It's quite mind-based very useful though because you know you can use stories and metaphors and then I kind of got into to MBIT and I was at the Richmond NLP and I, and I was in a session um, and I was actually trying to make a business decision at the time whether to work with a client and they just did a very light MBIT session and actually I listened to the gut the first time speak it sounds very very odd for people who might be listening but it, it often speaks in metaphors or very symbolic elements but obviously once you've got the symbol you can work out okay what's what's it communicating to me it's quite obvious because you, you you created it and um it just said well you just need to make sure that you have some of these elements in the contract before you agree the work and it was so simple but my mind was running the show going oh i'm not going to get the client i'm going to get the client da, 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 da. and it's just very simple and then it obviously ended up working with with, with that client so that's how i got into mbit because what mbit does is it brings in esoteric studies, neuroscience, NLP, and behavioral modeling, and brings it into one roadmap or one model um, where you work with the whole, the, the whole body to, to, to create insights. Um, so then it's not that I don't use NLP or, or anything like that, but I've just got, as a coach, I think it's important to, to have different tools. So I now work with NLP, projective coaching, and MBIT, and I think as a coach, it's important to have different tools to be able to give variety and an immersive experience for, for clients. So I'd say in answer to your question, I had some fears, some challenges, and uh, I went through some very dark times um, 
because just trying to find your identity and rebuild that identity in the world. Um, so use a lot of those tools and techniques probably over like a four or five, six year period. What even when I was working as in, in L and D and then thought, um, wow, I can actually apply this to other people. So probably over that a good six years applying those to help other people create change and then just seeing, I think really it's coaching is when you see someone in their own way, getting in their own way and you're able to help them guide them through an intuitive process or your performance as a coach and it helps them get unstuck. I think that's just like one of the most amazing things you can do for another human being. So that's how I kind of got into it. And just so we can explain to the audience, MBIT stands for, is it multiple brain integration? Yeah, multiple inter- brain integration techniques. But if you, but or, or you can say multiple intelligences or m- multiple centers. Essentially, we're we're working with a somatic experience, so which means the whole body. So when we're creating change or when we're going to more of what we want in our life, the whole body's in charge of that. So we use the head, the heart, and the gut to make sure that we are we feel a lot less conflict and we're much more aligned in our actions. So there's a lot more, um, a lot less resistance, and we feel much more in the flow, and much more intuitive, and we're much more kind of, yeah, in the flow. And it's recognizing the energy that we have in our body. Yeah, it's recognizing the we are energetic beings, and 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 energy uh, and is emotions, I- emotion, which is energy in motion. Um, you know, energy can't be created; it can't be destroyed; it can just be utilized. Um, and that's, you know, I, I was interviewing someone called Agnes Steib on my podcast and it's, you know, we were talking about energy and he was saying he's a professor of transformation. He said, we can't destroy, uh, it can't be created. It can't be destroyed. It's just there. So yes, we experience fears. Yes, we experience joy, but how do we use that energy? Because it's just energy. Um, uh, and I suppose with the, um, the energy and the emotions, and and almost like a sense of being that we have how do we how do we express that in the world and how do we use that energy if we've got a fear for instance how do we use that fear to transform how do we transform that fear if we are from an inspiration how do we use that energy to get more of what we desire in the world so yeah i love that and you talked earlier about values and the importance of values. And did you find at, at any point in your life that there has been a conflict with your values? Yeah, I've, I've, I think I've been, the biggest conflict for me, Amy, was probably to a point where I was working in, in corporate, um, you know, done kind of four years traveling the world, coaching leaders, speaking, designing, delivering workshops. And my mind was like, you've got to be successful. You've got to be a CEO. You've got to be a director. You've got to be on a hundred grand and, you know, you've got to be doing all this, which is obviously societal conditioning and, and, and pressures, which, which is, is no, and nothing inherently wrong about that. It just exists. Um, but then my intuition, which comes from the, the gut and the, the heart area, that intuitive thing was saying, no, you're here to do something different. You're here to follow your path. And I'll go to, on the story in a second with my granddad when I was when I was walking in the field with him. I'll tell you the story in a second. But he said you should be following your path, and it's not being better or greater than anybody else. But I I do believe everybody has a life purpose that they're put on this earth specifically for, and it's our job to find out what that purpose is because 
we want to get to the end of our life and be like, we made a contribution or we, 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 we made a difference. We followed our path. Like you've just got this, uh, your purpose is, is creating this amazing podcast to bring um, amazing people together to share their story. And you can get to the end of your life going, wow, I actually found out my life's purpose and created something amazing. And I think everybody should be doing that. Um, because going to, to work, feeling this inner conflict for whatever reason, um, I think in corporate companies, there's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of cloak and daggers saying, you know, it's all about development. It's all about leadership. It's all about nurturing our talent when really it's just about paying back shareholders so they can be open and honest about that early on. People know what they're coming into. Um, there's lots of um, pseudo leadership. So people putting in, you know, I'm a leader of extraordinary talent when actually all you are is a sales manager. But but actually, um then they hide behind those talents. So you get the, the two contrasts. You get exceptional leaders and great people in corporates. But you also get some people that are, are kind of hiding um, uh, around. So deep down, and I think this is from the army times, you just know when you can't trust someone or you can't trust the environment. And I, I got to the point where, um, again, I was doing amazing work, doing some phenomenal uh, work there and getting some great feedback. And... Um, I remember like kind of being at Starbucks thinking and counting down the clock, getting there at eight o'clock, starting work at nine. I could have gone in at eight and just sitting in Starbucks, counting down the clock and this feeling of dread, this feeling of dread being there. And um, I remember again, just going, right. I'm, the, a moment came, I worked with my, my coach um, and that, you know, that my, my coach said to me at the time, you know, you can either stay and turn it down or you can leave and turn it up. And that was just the, the words that I needed to hear the importance of a, a great word or great advice and ended up uh, moving on mainly because I found a better way. Uh, and I decided to, to, to follow the, the, the purpose again and follow my path. Um, but again, I think we go through these transformations and we go through these, these, um, thresholds. Um, because obviously then you've got to leave the corporate world because you've, you found a better way and the better way is following what, what your bliss or what gives your heart uh, a sense of joy, but that does take courage and, uh, that does take time. And, and if you're not there yet, don't be hard on yourself. And, and I, and I would say the biggest advice that I give to people is start something on the side or, or start a small step. Like I was coaching someone, even when I was in corporate, uh, a private client, and they said, oh, you know, I really want to start a business. You know, I want to leave the corporate world and I, I can't get my mindset around it. And I just said, look, go and get a business card printed. Go and put your name on it that says coach. And then just those very simple, subtle um, suggestions. I'm also, uh, I've worked with someone recently who's is in a corporate role, uh, you know, a sales manager um, and, you know, uh, has a desire to start their own coaching practice. So I've already started working with them. They've got coaching clients on the side. So it's about that transition. It's about getting yourself ready for that transition. I don't want to say the army quote unquote, but we, we train hard, fight easy. We train for that, for that moment. And there's nothing stopping people in corporates to train for that. Or there's nothing stopping people who are a coach now who's unfulfilled, redirecting and, and revitalizing their, their career in coaching. So with that advice of turning it up or turning it down, again, the thermostat is at work. Where are you with your thermostat? Where am I now with my thermostat? Um, I think it's 
what I've discovered now, the interesting, one of the biggest revelations I've had recently is that I've been conditioned to take action, to be courageous and all these types of things, um, which is good. But if you don't watch, if you don't monitor your, your emotional energy, you can burn out mainly because I, you know, I, I enjoy what I do and I'm determined to, 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 to be successful, have a successful business and work with clients. But if you don't m- measure your emotional energy, then you can, you can burn yourself out and feel kind of a bit downhearted. So one thing that I've actually, the big realization I've had recently is actually slowing down, like almost like surrendering to, to what's happening and making sure that I have a morning routine that gets me in the flow and listening to my body when enough's enough and, and to, to, to move on. So actually the paradox is typically I've been conditioned to take action, and move forward, but now I'm doing the complete opposite. Um, just observing and just noticing and, and listening to my body, what to move towards and what and what not to move towards. And actually what's happened is, is enabled me to be a lot more consistent and conserve, conserve my energy uh, and, and conserve my energy and, and, and being a lot more thoughtful, introspect and coherent space when I'm communicating and when I'm acting and when I'm working with people. So that's a very important thing. But the most important thing is actually intentionally, purposefully um, creating different um, waypoints or milestones in your day or in your week to enable you to create that, create that state um, or create that way of being. Because when you're burnt out in, in a kind of stressed or, or, or low mood, it's very difficult to get up and get inspired. And, and that's obviously the work that I, the one that I want to be doing. Well, it's been fantastic hearing about your journey and how you've you've constantly moved from one thing to the next, but with that energy sort of ebbing and flowing throughout, it's been really interesting. And and I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for those uh, Fiji Seven games for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been awesome as a keen rugby fan, especially <laughs> Sevens. It's a fantastic game. So, Adrian, how would people get in contact with you? Yeah, so just um, Superhuman Journeys podcast is obviously something that I, that I do. Um, and then obviously I've got LinkedIn as well, Adrian Hales and Facebook, Adrian Hales. So people can connect with me on both those uh, platforms. I'm getting my website redesigned at the moment, so that will be out soon. So for now, social media would be great. Perfect. So I'll make sure all of those go into the show notes and I'll add in the website when it's live as well for those that join the podcast a little bit later down the line. Adrian, it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. I'm really, really grateful for you coming on. Have you got some final words for the audience, please? Yeah, no, again, Amy, I really appreciate you letting me come on the podcast and and interviewing me and holding the space and asking some great questions. So me to you, thank you very much. Um, I suppose the the final bit of uh, advice is a a little story, if you don't mind me telling it, it was when when I was younger. When I was younger, I used to walk many times across the fields with my granddad and we had probably 10 acres and we used to walk across the fields uh, and I used to walk hand in hand. And I think, as we know, like grandparents have got some good kind of life lessons to tell us. And we always get wisdom from them. I remember what he used to do. He used to walk on the beaten track in the field where everyone else has walked. And we used to walk for some time on that beaten track. And then he, there was a moment when he used to say, right, now what I want you to do is walk across the grass, the long grass, and make your own path, make your own trail. Uh, and he would walk with me. So we were literally creating and making our own trail. And he would stop about 100, 200 yards within to the walk. And he'd say, now look back. And obviously, you'd look back and see all the graph that you just made that trail and made that path. And he said, whatever you do in life, make sure you follow your own path. 
and create your own trail because that's what's going to make all the difference and that's not what the majority of people do but that's what the the best thing to do is to walk and create your own path in life thank you for listening to the focus on why podcast i'm amy rowlandson and if you've enjoyed this episode please leave me a five-star apple podcast review Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.